plans for my crazy day. My packed commute. All those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hey everybody, John B. here with GangreenNation.com, and this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing to it on either iTunes or Audio Boom. We'll deliver it to your device each day, and you can take us with you on the go. If you really enjoy this show, please consider giving it good ratings. We certainly would appreciate it. This is uh, the show for Thursday, although we will be posting it Wednesday evening, part of our special schedule for free agency, since... Uh, most often the show is recorded in the evening before it's posted. Now, during the free agency period, news moves so fast that I did not. I don't want to get into a situation where I uh, record a show one night and then something happens overnight and the show becomes obsolete. The show becomes outdated. So this way we'll, we'll at least uh, have the show up when the news is relevant. And... Um, you know, one of the things I was checking was some of the stats for the show, and uh, it's you know, it's not a huge show yet, but we, we're growing. We have a decent audience, and we're growing at a decent clip. But one of the interesting things is that you get the geographic breakdown of the show, uh, where people are listening from. Now, the number one city, the city where we have the most listeners, is New York. That's no shock. The Jets are a New York New York team, and obviously. That that's where the bulk of our audience is going to be from because that's where most of the Jets fans are from. Our number two city is Washington, D.C. Again, not a huge shock because D.C. is a city with a lot of transplants. Uh, people move to D.C. from all over the country, probably a sizable number of New Yorkers in Washington, D.C., so not a surprise there. The number three city, city though, was quite a shock to me, very surprising. It was Hong Kong. Uh, can you believe that? Hong Kong? Um but you know, that's where we get our third most listens from. Uh, that's incredible. All the halfway around the world. I mean, isn't it amazing these days uh, what technology can do, how you can follow your favorite team from you know, half a world away? And I just want to say that if you are li- those of you who are listening to the show from Hong Kong, you are awesome. and You're a great fan. So I just want to give you guys a shout out. Now, let's get down to business. Now, we actually have a couple of segments in our show today. As you know, the scouting combine just concluded in, in indianapolis so later on we're going to uh play an interview we recorded a little earlier today with our fr- good friend dave t thomas he's the super scout he's been around for decades works for the league actually works for a number of teams in the league he's going to offer his thoughts on the combine we're going to get into some discussions of prospects and you are not going to want to miss a rumor that he heard in Indianapolis. Now, who knows whether it's true or not, but it's quite a juicy rumor about the Jets and a potential trade that could be on the horizon at the quarterback position. Again, it's a rumor, so don't think that it's an automatic that it's going to happen, but it's it's an interesting one. But we're going to start out the show talking about the free agency period. It is the end of the legal tampering period. I'm sure you're getting nostalgic. Um, legal tampering period lasts two days. Um, Two days before the start of the new league year, when free agents can officially sign, teams are allowed to speak with free agents, and it's been somewhat quiet. 
not a whole lot of big names have gone off the board just yet, but there has been some news, there has been some movement, and some of it pertains to the Jets, and there are some other rumors about things that could be coming. So I'd like to start off our show just talking about some of the things that have happened. And from the Jets' perspective, probably the big news of the day actually is not a signing that the Jets made. It's about a former Jet, Brandon Marshall, who is going to be staying in New York. He signs a reported two-year, $12 million contract with the Giants, and I think you, it's difficult to dislike this move from a Giants standpoint. I think it's a tremendous move. Very affordable deal, $6 million for a quality starting receiver. Now, do I know that Marsh? Now, do I th- think Marshall can carry an offense? Do I think an offense can run through him anymore at this point of his career? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But with the Giants, it doesn't matter because that's not what's going to have to happen. Uh, the, that offense runs through Odell Beckham Jr. So Marshall is going to be the number two guy. So do I think Marshall can exploit it when he's matched up against number two corners, when the entire defense is focused on shutting down somebody else, leaving him openings? Absolutely. I think Marshall is going to be tremendous for the Giants. I think it's a great signing. I think it's a very good value. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Marshall being a strong, per- big personality, questions about how will he fit in the locker room. I, I kind of think those are overblown. I never really got the impression Marshall was a big problem with the Jets in the locker room. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy who, through his career, has uh, show, has grown mature. You know, he's matured. I think he's actually become kind of a positive influence, and I'm thinking maybe he can help Odell Beckham out. Maybe he'll be a good guy to have around Beckham. You know, there were some issues this year in the Jets' locker room, as we know, but, and, you know, everybody, point, the one everybody knows about, and when this stuff becomes public, everybody assumes that this is the only thing that's going on, and it's kind of silly, because there's so, there's so many dynamics going on in a locker room that we never find out about, but because this is public, they must be the only ones, because that's the only one we know about, and, but, you know, there was t- all this talk about Sheldon Richardson and Brandon Marshall. You know what, though? That's natural. You, when you're at, I'm sure when you're at work, there are people you don't like that you work with. I'm sure you have disagreements with some of your coworkers. Just because um, Marshall and Richardson had some sort of disagreement, that doesn't make Marshall wrong. And it doesn't make Richardson wrong. And it doesn't make either guy wrong. I think really the only person I would criticize is Richardson, not because he had a disagreement with Marshall, but because he made it public and let everybody know about it. And that's the kind of thing that should have stayed in-house and just the kind of silly thing that always happened, that seems to always happen with Richardson. But I don't think that there's, just because two guys had a disagreement, that necessarily makes either of these guys a negative force in the locker room. So, you know, I, I think it's very difficult to dislike this move from a Giants standpoint. And from a Jets standpoint, well, maybe you dislike the Giants. I got to be honest, I was worried about Marshall going to New England because... You know, you don't want to improve the Patriots. And I, I was kind of skeptical Marshall would go to New England because I'm not sure, I wasn't sure Bill Belichick would want him to be uh, taking such an active role in the media. Well, as it turns out, it sounds like the Giants schedule kind of conflicts with what Marshall's been doing media-wise over the last few years. And he's maybe willing to put it aside. But good move for the Giants. Now, as far as the Jets go, um, the popular story seems to be that the Jets are running out of quarterback options. And I, I kind of baffled by, I kind of laugh at this idea that the Jets are out of quarterback options because there are some guys going off the board. Brian Hoyer signs with San Francisco. Tyrod Taylor is staying in Buffalo. And but my, my issue is that this is assuming that these were good options to begin with. And I mean, these were very flawed options. Um, you know, the official numbers aren't out on Hoyer. I've actually heard through the grapevine that 
it's going to be rather high. Maybe it's not going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick high, but I've and they get nothing official yet, so I'm not going to put the numbers I've heard out. But it's going to be a, a raise over what Hoyer was getting in Chicago, and that's actually. Hoyer was a guy I thought was interesting for the Jets, but part of it was that his contract last year with the Bears was not that expensive. Um, he was signed to be Jay Cutler's backup, and uh, he signed just a, it was just a, a one-year deal, and it was worth $2 million. Now, this is going to be – my understanding is that the San Francisco deal is going to be much higher, but, I mean, my view is and even Taylor, who's – a, a solid quarterback, but Taylor is not a long-term option for your franchise. He's not a guy who makes people better. He's not a franchise quarterback. And I guess my view is, well, yeah, their Jets have other flawed options, but these were flawed options to begin with, first of all. And second of all, if you know, you're going to give, I mean, if I'm going to get a flaw, why get a flawed option for a lot of money when I could probably get a flawed option for much less? It, it makes no sense. And I think that this is the flaw a lot of teams have if you look at some of the again we don't have hard numbers yet but just some of the stories that are out there Hoyer ended up going to Hoyer is agreeing to terms with San Francisco the Niners did some other stuff um Pierre Garcon sounds like he's on his way to San Francisco Chris Mortensen reports 16 million dollars for Garcon in his first year that's what Chris Mortensen says now we'll see whether it pans out again we don't know um the a fullback from Baltimore uh Jets were in on him. Apparently, he's going to San Francisco, and he's making a lot of money too. It's uh, you know, this, up to this point, the highest-paid fullback in the NFL was under three million dollars, and it sounds like this deal could be worth five million dollars a year for a fullback. For a fullback, and look, I, the Jets. Even if the, the Jets, we've been talking about how the Jets may go into a they go to a power run game. A fullback could be useful. A fullback's not going to be $5 million useful. Uh, the, the the report from uh, Matt Miller uh, is that the 49ers will make him the highest paid fullback in the league. And that's just, I mean, come on. It's a fullback. Look, I, 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 I don't scoff at the idea teams should have a fullback because I think it's a place where you can find undervalued players, but you're not finding an undervalued guy if you're making a fullback the highest paid, paid guy in the league. And I think that this is kind of the flaw, and it's one of the things that worries me a little bit about the Jets, that it seems like they're heading to a deep rebuild. They're kind of gutting the roster, getting rid of anybody you know who's making any kind of money who can help. Is That's kind of the path you see San Francisco and Cleveland going, where they now they have an incredible amount of cap space. The Jets have cap space, but these teams have gobs and gobs of cap space, enormous amounts of cap space. But the problem with that is... Free agency, when you have this much cap space and you don't have good players, you almost feel compelled to overpay for pedestrian guys. And, you know, Pierre Garçon's a fine receiver, but, geez, $16 million in a year? Come on. A fullback $5 million, Hoyer for what Hoyer may be getting? These are, you know, these, yeah, these guys improve your team, but, geez, I mean, holy cow. Are you, I mean, are you kidding me? And that that's the issue is that when your team is that bad, Unless you're finding a true superstar, a true difference maker, the thing is, yeah, you can try and make a big splash at the start of free agency and pay guys a lot of money to make sure that you land them. But the thing is, you can probably get a guy who's just as good later on for less money. And the thing is, when you're when you're really bad at a certain position, the natural inclination is to try and spend uh, spend big to improve that spot. But the thing is, you can sign just about anybody. Now, the Jets, I think the Jets were wise to kind of sit – and I think so far, now we're only you know less than two days in at the recording, at the recording of this podcast. 
I don't want to see the Jets make big moves because these first couple days in free agency, there are teams that make big splashes and there are teams that get, that get praised and they get called the winners of free agency. But a lot of con- a lot of times, those are the teams that make the mistakes. And you're almost always, no, I shouldn't say almost always, but in many cases, you're better off waiting and uh, for the market to calm down. There are some guys out there who's frankly, their agents aren't as adept and they may not get them the same deals. And that's where you find your bargains because guys go off the boards, teams fill their needs. Well, that that means that the guys that remain, they have less suitors. So as demand goes down, price goes down. And that's something to consider. Now, I think the Jets are probably going to take a cautious approach, similar to the approach they took three years ago. And at least that's the early indication that they could change that. And there's a rumor that there's a big rumor out there that indicates maybe this is not the path they're going to take after all. But at this point, it seems like the Jets might take the, the the cautious path three years ago. We all remember what happened with John Idzik. Idzik became heavily criticized for not addressing the team's needs. The thing that people forget, though, is that Idzik actually did sign free agents. The problem was that he tried to sign value-free agents, but they ended up not being very good value guys. And that's it's the hardest thing to do in football is to find guys who are val- who are good values. If it was easy, everybody would do it, and they wouldn't be good values. And you know, it, early in free agency, that's what really destroys you is when you pay these guys, when you pay pedestrian players too much. I've heard people say when they look at the deal Antonio Brown got, "Wow, I can't believe this. That's crazy." Or Eric Berry, you know, it's look. If I'm going to pay top, I don't have a problem with resetting the market for if I'm paying a guy who's actually the best or one of the best at his position. So yeah. The salary cap's going up. So, yeah, a top receiver is going to cost more than he did a year or two ago. I don't have a big problem with paying Antonio Brown $17 million. I don't have a problem with paying Eric Berry $13 million. And if you go back far enough, uh, you may remember the Darrell Rivas holdout back in 2010, and there was talk about how he wanted $16 million. I don't mind that. I'm not going to nickel and dime. I'm not going to try and save nickels and dimes when it comes to superstar-level players just because they bring so much to the table. you 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 got a superstar that guy makes everybody around them better. You guys add so much value to your team. I don't care if I overpay that guy by a little bit, but it's you know it's not paying Antonio Brown seventeen million. It's paying Pierre Garcon sixteen million, where he's not providing you that value. That's where you get into trouble, and that's that's a pitfall to avoid. It you know, and I go back to that Idzik uh, that Idzik free agency period from two years ago, and. He, again, he got criticized because he, he left around $20 million in the bank, which they spent some of that on Percy Harvin in a midseason trade, which was kind of felt like a desperation move at the time. That's what I think. Maybe you disagree. But he brought in a lot of free agents. Most of them just didn't work out. Most of them were not good values. Really, the only good free agent he signed was Eric Decker. That was a good move. It ended up really helping the Jets beyond 2014. But other moves, Breno Giacomini, that was a failed signing. Um, Chris Johnson, you know, Johnson really was not the same player he was in Tennessee, and I mean he wasn't a horrible player, but he had a terrible attitude. He was comp- complaining about his role publicly, and he blocked Bilal Powell, who at that point was probably a little worse at least. It prevented him from uh, seeing more playing time, and I think we've seen Powell over the last two years kind of come into his own. He barely played that year, and that you know the Johnson signing was. A, an effect of that that was an effect of the Johnson signing uh, Michael Vick did not pan out Vick was at the end of his career I actually kind of liked that move at the time I thought Vick was a decent would be a decent backup you know stopgap hold the fort guy really did not do a very good job 
And of course, Dimitri Patterson, which was just a total flop. And Patterson probably could have been a terrible corner for the Jets, and Idzik may have kept his job. But the fact the Jets had to cut him because he went AWOL, that just uh, was a disaster. It really was not an effective free agent period, and people got on Idzik because he didn't spend a lot of money. But the thing was, you know, you look at a team, Tampa Bay spent a lot of money that year, and it was spent ineffectively. And that's not really, uh, see, and that's the thing, is that's not really the key. The key is not spending a lot of money. The key is finding bargains and spending money efficiently. And that year, yeah, the Jets failed by not spending a lot of money. The Jets failed by going kind of bargain basement shopping. And Tampa Bay failed by, and a couple other teams failed by spending big. And everybody, uh, you know, well, not everybody, but many people praise the teams that spend big in free agency. And they, they're called the winners in March, and they frequently turn into losers. And everybody gets on teams like the Jets who don't spend as they did that year in 2014. And Jets didn't, really did not have a good plan that year. They did not make good signings. You know the team that won free agency that year? The real winner was the Baltimore Ravens. And let, let me give, list you through. Let me, let's go through some of the contracts. Justin Forsett, one year, $730,000. They got 1,266 yards, a 5.4 average, and eight touchdowns out of him. That's under three-quarters of a million for that. Pretty good. Owen Daniels, one year, $1 million. Well, Daniels was productive that year as a tight end. He was third, re- third leading receiver on the team, 48 catches, 527 yards. Pretty good. Good value, $1 million. Steve Smith, the uh, great Steve Smith, they signed him from the Panthers. Three years, $11.5 million. So that's, you know top really good receiver under four million dollars a year pretty good and he puts put together 70, 79 catches over a thousand yards that year and darian stewart one year 1.3 million uh, decent safety not great but for that for 1.3 million pretty good pretty good value um so those are you know they brought in four guys they barely spent any money on that uh, on those four guys you got you know Forsett under a million daniels one million even steve smith Let's say three, you know, little less than four million, and then stewards little over a million. I mean, that's you take that every day, and that's that's what you have to do. Is you have to find the bargains that you don't want to go spending crazy. Now you get a look every now and then. There's a superstar who hits the market. Reggie White's the guy that really comes to mind. You know, he was kind of the one of the early free agent superstars. Kind of helped revitalize the Packers back when he signed in the early '90s brought credibility back to Green Bay, made, made people take that franchise seriously. Look, you get a superstar out there, that's fine. Other than that, you have to find the value guys because those are the teams that, and those are the guys, those are the teams, they fly under the radar in free agency, they win it. They're the ones that win free agency. You're not great if you, you're not great necessarily by spending big, from big spending big dollars. You're not necessarily successful if you hold off because you, you may just sign a bunch of guys nobody wants. The key is finding value. And with that in mind, there's actually another rumor out there that the Jets are looking into signing Nick Perry, the free agent edge guy from Green Bay. And Perry is coming off a big season with the Packers. Um, he had 11 sacks. Uh, you know, big year, big year in Green Bay. Uh, this this one makes me a little nervous. There are r- rumors out there that the Jets are, are prepared to make a huge offer to Perry, and. Uh, that concerns me to some extent because and there there are three reasons this concerns me is first of all i'm always a little scared of the guy who's only had one good year and that's really perry perry's had an 11 sack season in 2015 uh, 2016 prior to that this was his 50 that was his fifth year in the league 
two sacks, four sacks, three sacks, three and a half sacks. Some guys just put together fluky seasons, and it's a little, you know, it's a little scary because sometimes they, sometimes they regress to the, many cases they regress to the mean after that. You know, if you if you don't show you can do it consistently, maybe the league's figured out something on you. Maybe you just had a little luck. It's a little scary. That goes double when that happens when your big year happens to be your contract year when you're at your most motivated when you're trying to get paid, and those guys, boy, that's a dangerous cocktail. And the third thing that scares me a little bit is. Packers are a pretty good organization, and they have shown real willingness to let guys who seem to be key pieces go. And, look, they're not always – look, sometimes there have been a few guys who have gone elsewhere and had success, but that organization tends to know who to keep and who not to keep. And if they're going to let him go, that makes me a little nervous. Now, what makes you – I understand – I'll understand if the Jets do this. I'll understand if they make Perry a big offer because – Look, he plays a cornerstone position. It's a premium spot, the edge rusher, and the Jets need one. And he's still young, and he's still, you know, and he did have that season. And another thing that's good for him is the Packers know him better than anybody. But the Jets do have Kevin Green, who was in Green Bay. He was, uh, he was, you know, Kevin Green is the new Jets uh, position coach. He had Perry in Green Bay, so he knows something about Perry, even though Perry wasn't that great in Green Bay when Green was there, but. At least you you have a guy with a background who can give you kind of an insider perspective. So I'm not saying look, there are reasons you'd make this move, but all I'm going to say is that I'm not. And look, I wrote an article a few weeks back from UngainGreenNation.com listing five guys the Jets stay away from. Perry was one of them for the reasons I mentioned. I'll understand it if the Jets make it, but I'm not saying don't do it. But I'm saying you better know what you're doing because this is a this would be a very risky move to make this guy a big offer, and that's the type of move if you get it wrong. You could be out the door. So uh, we'll see. Then maybe that's a sign the Jets are not going with the cautious offseason approach. And I hope it's not a sign that the Jets are going to be one of those teams that I, made, that I mentioned that make a mistake by paying way too much money to a guy. But well, anyway, we'll see about that. Anyway, so those are those are the thoughts on this uh, Wednesday in free agency, the legal tampering period. So let's go, let's go to now our interview that we did that I recorded earlier today with Dave T. Thomas, where we talk about the combine and more generally just draft stuff. And we'll hear Dave T.'s big rumor, and I'm sure you're uh, anticipating that one. So let's go straight to it. We're here with uh, Super Scout Dave T. Thomas. Uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? I'm telling you, it's like a bouncer around. I'm going to start buying an airplane pretty soon. For the next two months, we're going to be on the road crazy, all the scouts. Not only do we got to evaluate the talent that's going to be going in the draft, we sort of have to stop putting together our early notes on the 2018 draft. With spring drills going on, it's going to be guys out there wearing two hats this time. How early do you guys start for – how early will you guys start for 2018? Oh, I'm already started. I, as soon as I uh, hit the recruiting trail, as soon as we knew who was signing with what school, that's when I started pulling up together my information. I'm a little different than most of the scouts because that's probably why the teams use me so much. When they get a report from me, it's two, 300 pages. When that kid enters school as a freshman, if he's a three, four, five-star recruit, I'm putting together a book on him. I don't want to be sitting down there looking like the emperor without my clothes on three, four years down the road when the guy comes out. If the guy comes out as an underclassman, case in point, the Brown Lee. 
I mean, when people looked at my information over there, they thought I was writing War and Peace on the poor kid. But I had a book on him ever since his high school days. You need to do a lot of checks and balances on kids, and you need more than a one-year consistency. And that's why I'm saying buyer beware whoever takes that quarterback out of North Carolina. I mean, you've got 13 games as a starter underneath your belt. Now all of a sudden you're going to walk away with $70 million in your pocket? I can't do that. So um, I know a lot of fans out there debate the importance of a combine. So I'm kind of interested in your perspective as a pro scout. How much does the combine really matter when it comes to these evaluations? I'm not going to judge a kid in his underwear. You want to run 429 out there, great. You want to run a 422 like John Ross, great. But what I'm looking at on John Ross is I got a litany of a medical record standing in front of me. And case in point, he runs a 422, he pulls his hammy. I mean, another thing, too, what I look at, I think that the speed hurt the kid. And let me tell you why. This is a kid that's averaged 13 yards a pop this year as a receiver. If you've got 422 speed, man, you better be getting me more than 13 yards going downfield with that ball in his hands. Then I look at another factor on it. Only 22% of his yardage came after the catch. 422 speeding, you're only going to get me 22 more percent of the yards with that burst? Uh, I'd much rather go out there and get one of those big boys that's going to leap. Give me a guy that's going to go 40 inches up in the air to pull the ball down. All I need to do is move the change, John. Do you think anybody helped their stock or hurt their stock? Uh, well, they're the saying that Ruben Foster hurt his stock at the combines. But to be honest with you, if I, if I need a middle linebacker, I want a guy that's a psycho. I want a madman. Uh, I look at that thing right now, and I even told Bill up with New England, I said, dude, <laughs> if you do anything right now, man, trade Garoppolo, man, to either one or two and grab Foster because that's going to be the man out there on the football field. And one thing, too, that I really enjoyed out of this combine, the trend moving to another position. I'm telling you, in another year, another two, three years down the road, safeties are going to be worth more money than cornerbacks. They're going to be more, worth more money than linebackers. I think safeties right now are about to come in as much of a vogue as a pass rusher is. I think it is. Well, the thing is, you look at what's going on out there. If I got a guy that can play either free or strong safety, and if I got a guy that's 215, 220 pounds, I could play him like Thomas uh, Davis. I could play him like Buchanan out at uh, Arizona. I could move him up to play to cover, too. See, the thing right now is with situational offenses, with multiple receivers out there on the football field, I not only need speed, I need impact hitters out there on the football field. And when people talk about cornerbacks, I look at the cornerback crop this year. If, I, if there's any cornerback I'm going to grab, I'm going down to Florida, and his name is not Tabor. I'm grabbing the underrated kid. I'm on Quincy Wilson. Here's a kid 220 pounds as a cornerback. Here's a kid that runs 4-5. Here's a kid that's got a 38-inch vertical, walks into the weight room and puts up the weights 350 pounds. Yeah, I'd like to see Odell Beckham get in that guy's face. So you mentioned, you know, just back to the safeties, what do you think of this year's safety class? Oh, my, I cannot pronounce his name. I'm telling you, they probably because I was born and bred in Brooklyn, but that kid up in Connecticut, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I was probably jumping higher than him as he was going through his agilities out there in Indy. When people see my ratings this year, they might put a straitjacket on me, but my top-rated ball player is a safety. That's Mr. Adams out of Louisiana State. I look at this kid, what he could bring to the game. He could bring to the game what Palomalo did for years over with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And right now, I look at one thing. You know, years ago, your middle linebacker was your key. He was the guy that got everybody going. 
Now with the way that the safeties interchange, I want a great center fielder. I need a guy in my third level that's a great center fielder that could roam, that could come up and play against the run, who could cover those guys deep, who has great switch-off skills in the zone. That's more valuable to me than any position on defense right now. So you, know, you mentioned a little earlier about Ruben Foster, how he's your top-ranked player, and I'm sure now, again, this is a Jets podcast, so our viewers may not love the fact of giving New England some advice, but what is it about Foster that you like? He goes out on that football field, and he's like a chess master playing out there. He has everybody in the right position. Look at the Alabama side defense this year, and then go back and compare them in the 2017 season without Foster there. Before Foster took over in the middle over there, it was sort of controlled mayhem with the Alabama side. This year, they probably had a defense that could have rivaled anybody in the NFL. Now, too, uh, we'll turn our focus a little bit because I know you have some thoughts on the Jets quarterback situation. Oh, my God. You know, right now, uh, I'm just hoping that the mild rumor that I heard over at Indy comes true, that they turn around and look at everybody's number twos. Because right now, if you want to go out and pay big bucks for a retreat, go ahead and do it. You saw how they got messed up with the Fitzpatrick signing last year. Right now, I look at all the number twos, and the one that's being offered on the market that I would probably take is A.J. McCarron out of Cincinnati. He proved his worth when he had to step in for a uh, for uh, Dalton, and with them about to lose Pico, Pico is uh, their nose guard, is about to sign with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is about to lose their nose guard. Logan's going to go down to Washington. They're out there right now trying to see what they could get for McCarron. They love Sheldon Richardson. I, if the rumor is true, Sheldon Richardson in a draft pick for McCarron, I don't know why they don't pull that trigger immediately. That's interesting. Well, the whole thing comes down to you. Look at McCarron out there on the football field. I think he has better hops than Cousins has. I look at him. uh, I I hate to call him a mechanic, but he could give me product out there on the football field that possibly could turn into Aaron Rodgers down the road. And I think he is so frustrated to being behind Dalton over there because even the coaches whisper over there that they think McCarron is better than Dalton, but Dalton is produced for them. And if you look at Lewis, uh, Robin Lewis, the head coach, it seems like every year, okay, I'll do it one more year, I'll do it one more year. So he does not want to bring in a new quarterback and put Dalton on the bench and end up having a thing where he ends up being out there, being thrown out as the head coach because McCarron might flop on his face. You know what they say, your number twos always look pretty till they become a number one. All right, well, any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, I look at this combine, I look at the draft, there's going to be a plethora of defensive players going early. I think any team right now that needs an offensive lineman could wait till round two and find a great group out there. I think outside of Bowles, possibly Cam Robinson, I don't look at any of these offensive linemen as a first-round draft pick. All right. Well, Dave T. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us again. I hope we can have you on once more before the draft. Take care, John. And that's all for our show today. Thanks again to Dave T. Thomas for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to the show. It is available on both iTunes and Audio Boom. Give it good ratings if you enjoy it. Until next time, I'm John B. with Gang Green Nation, wishing you a great day.
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.